Jesus and his followers head into Jerusalem, along with every other religious Jew. Yes, again. Last time they visited, the people there attempted to stone Jesus. That was at the time of the Feast of Booths. It appears that Jesus returns around the time of the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication is known today as Hanukkah. It was originally a time to remember the rededication of the temple once Judas Maccabeus rescued it from Epiphanes. So, yes, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, and that thought has always made me smile. Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview in the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair their biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Agin. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Jesus will dodge another stoning. We return to the official authorized story of John. Anytime Jesus is in Jerusalem, it's a sticky situation. Every time he visits, he gets threatened. There is a plot against the Lord. Now he joins multitudes in town for the Feast of Dedication. In John 10, 22, it says this. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but if you do not believe because you are not among my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He's kind of saying it again, isn't he? They want him to speak plainly this holiday. Well, he did that last time, and he is again. He and the Father, whom he has formally defined as Yahweh, are one. This is a claim of deity. Now, winters can be cold in Jerusalem, and it's likely why they're all gathered in the colonnades to have some shelter from the elements. This is the place they would like clarity. Not only does he say that he and Yahweh are one, he then says that those asking are not his sheep, but that his sheep know him, recognize him, and trust him. Oh, and did he just promise that his sheep were secure in his grip? One of the only times we see eternal life spilled out. The cold crowd responds to all of this in John 10, 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for a blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? 
If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do not say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Not today, Satan. It's really cool that Jesus can keep escaping at will, but what in the world is he saying here? They want to kill him for claiming to be God, which is fair if it's not true. He quotes from Psalm 82, which is one of the trippier psalms. I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. You are all gods. Lowercase g. What is that even doing in our Bibles? Well, it's actually everywhere in our Bibles, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures. This isn't the best time to veer off and talk about God's and Yahweh's relationship with them. We can do that when we finally circle back to the Hebrew Scriptures on the podcast. But for now, Psalm 82 is a plea from God for justice on the earth. In the poem, he sits over a divine council of lower G gods, which is a popular ancient Near East motif. Lowercase g gods in Hebrew is the word Elohim. I know, I know, you probably heard that this is one of Yahweh's names, but it's a generic title for a deity. Elohim, lowercase e. And this term is used in Hebrew scriptures interchangeably with sons of God or the Hebrew word Elam. Often it's translated as heavenly beings in English to tone down the message, like in Psalm 29. Anyway, in Psalm 82, in the poem, God sits over the gods and asks them how much he must watch injustice. Injustice on the humans and favoritism towards the wicked. Presumably, this is something that the gods were guilty of. Then he says what Jesus quotes, I say you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you, but you shall all die like mortals. And then he commands them to get up and judge the earth rightly because the humans belong to them. Now, most of us are missing this from our theology. And to be fair, it is a poem written to an audience that assumed such scenarios were true, whether they were or not. And also, it could be mocking human leaders that at that time were claiming divinity, but they were failing humanity. And it also could just be real things. The sons of God, or gods, lowercase g, have fallen. Despite being Yahweh's own, they have failed. They, like the fallen humans, will now die. Okay, that's the context. So how is Jesus using this? If you flip open your commentaries, they're filled with confusion, dodging, and creative solutions that discount the original context. So let's work with what is clear and then go from there. Jesus is elevating Hebrew scriptures by saying that whatever is in there, even the line, you are gods, cannot be broken. Okay, so that's clear. If the Son of God is promised and the Son of God is sent by God and makes that claim, it's not blasphemous. It's the expected unbrokenness of God's word, which is cool. It gets tricky when Jesus says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came. 
to whom the word of God came. We better look into this because on the surface, it's people who hear the gospel, which can't fit the Psalms context. So God's there is theos, which is the generic word for God in Greek, which matches the Hebrew Elohim. So there's no changes there. Okay. Word. Logos, as in, in the beginning was the word. So that's Jesus. The, so if he called them gods, no change of word, to whom the logos of God came. God there is theos, which is a nonspecific a word for God, like a lowercase g, where you might expect a specified God name there. Okay. If he called those who were visited by Jesus gods, and Jesus is saying he did, then he can be a son of God too. This is actually kind of funny. Jesus is saying that these gods in the poem were people or like people. People or like people were called sons of God. Remember, that's the Hebrew equivalent. If other people or like people can be called sons of God, why can't he? Now, are those two types of sons of God similar? Yes. Are they the same? No. And Jesus is counting on confusion here and uses it to get away from the attempted murder. Now, follow me here. They walk behind Jesus and they ask him to speak plainly about who he is. Then, when Jesus does explain how he and God the Father are one, they draw stones again. They aren't looking for a savior. They're looking for a kill. They have flatly and coldly rejected Jesus in their hearts, as cold as the winter weather they stand in, and this breaks his heart. Jesus pleads with them to not be so blind. Then he escapes because it's not the day that he will lay down his life. Now, it's obviously time for him to leave Jerusalem again. If you remember, Jesus has to work up courage every time he goes there, and he has to leave one more time. John 10, 40-42 He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. So across the Jordan River, on the east bank, he's more than welcomed. People believe in him. He's able to safely travel from village to village before making an eventual U-turn back towards dreaded Jerusalem. Why go back? Well, three and a half months later, after the Feast of Dedication, will be the Passover. Jesus must go back for that. But here in Perea, he will tell some parables as the seekers ask him questions. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed. God is hungry and thirsty for justice in his world. He judges anyone who would be over humanity's needs and turns the other way or even favors wickedness along the way. Who are we in that story? And Jesus is making claims to be the son of God and being one with Yahweh. This requires our faith to believe. But we can trust that those who are his sheep are never ripped from his grip. We can rest in that kind of love.
Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, Jesus will drop the Perean parables.